tennis is really, really, really back. I mean, it's really it back. It started. It's really... I know we had Palermo last week, the WTA side, and we've had world team tennis and we've had exhibitions that we've both worked on, but it just feels that with this first professional tournament in the US since the pandemic that it's really 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 back well the WTA is back the ATP we've just got to wait a little bit longer yeah but the WTA back which I think that's got to be the only sport hasn't it where the women have come back before the men so that's nice (laughs) I think so not that it's a competition it's not a competition between the men and women it's competition between tennis and all other sports because tennis is clearly the best (laughs) so another big tick we're winning and it was really good for men or women in tennis that Palermo last week went so well. They had the the case, the positive case in qualifying at the start. And it's up to the player whether they say, like Grigor Dimitrov, hey, I've got it. I haven't got it, whatever. The player decided not to be like, hey, I've got it. But they were quietly removed. Yes, you could figure out who it was. But they said, we're going to continue. They continued. There were a few players that pulled out of that event. Like, I think Johanna Conta was meant to play. Simone Hallett was meant to play. But it went off really, really smoothly. And we had a winner yeah. in Fiona Ferro, and she's she's the first title winner since tennis returned. Yes, and I think showing um, that you can have a positive test and it can be contained if all of the restrictions are followed and uh, and that sort of thing. And I know we did have a bit of chat from Donna Vekic saying that it was pretty loose over there in their spare time, but they did go through the testing and there was a lot of restrictions in place uh, so different to say the Adria tour where one person got it and it was kind of inevitable after dancing in nightclubs and hugging and all those sorts of things that then a lot of them got it and team members uh, so it just shows that actually it's possible not that it's possible it's been done so a, a really good week I think a lot of success I think we are going to see positive tests I'd be so surprised if we don't see positive tests say at the US Open for example with that amount of players and and coaches and teams coming but uh as I say this one totally contained unfortunate for the player she couldn't play but everybody else carried on and all good a lot of people talking about world team tennis hey don't forget world team tennis it was a very successful event it took place in America but it was very much it was it was at a resort so no one was going to leave. You didn't have to leave. You know, the US Open is going to be very different. All these other events are very different because you are not living on site. You are moving back and forwards. I mean, World Team Tennis, it was a fantastic, it is a fantastic event, but it was slightly different because a little bit like those tournaments you used to tell me about in Egypt, when it, it's on a resort. So you, you live there. I think they there was golf going on there, all sorts of bits and pieces. So you could have a bubble because there was absolutely no, you have all your family in the bubble and there was no reason to leave. Yes. And as we mentioned last week, uh, small bubbles do work. (laughs) Will the colossal giant thousand people bubble in New York work? I'm not so sure. I think there might be a a couple of issues with it, but um, it good positive signs in terms of the tournaments running now the biggest hurdle hasn't really been faced yet which is the travel it's going week to week to week now I know we've lost Madrid uh, so that's one extra country that people don't need to travel to but ultimately we're looking at players now coming from all over the world to New York three weeks in New York if you do well two weeks if you don't one and a bit weeks <laughs> if it's a bit rubbish <laughs> um and uh, so you spend some time in new york and then potentially players going home um 
but then possibly going to Rome. We've got Paris. So, so this is where I think the issues are going to start arising of going from country to country to country and how that can be limited because players are so used to flying around all the time. I mean, they will take four or five flights a week and not even bat an eyelid. So they'll easily just kind of pop home for a couple of days if they if they, that's what they want to do. And as I say, the people who are losing early at the US Open, it's actually a significant amount of time before, say, going to Rome, if that's where they are booked to go to next. So this is the the biggest hurdle. We've we've overcome a lot of the hurdles and it's all looking pretty good and huge credit to the WTA for being able to get this stuff going and underway and all of the exhibition events, which would have helped because they would have learned a lot from all of those as well, uh, especially what not to do. So all looking good, but I'm slightly apprehensive with just that very nature of tennis and the, the how global it is, that, that sort of travel. Well, I believe the Italian... Authorities, I'm sure I'm right in saying here, have said they won't have to be quarantined for the players. That was a big thing, wasn't it, for the players saying, look, we, we need assurances that we can go to our next destination and not have to self-isolate. And maybe the instances of popping home for a couple of days, maybe that won't be as necessary now because in in our past life, players were never home, so they wanted to go home. Now they've been home for ages, so maybe they don't need to pop home for two days, three days, four days. Yeah, that's true. They're sick of they're sick of being at home. Now they want to be out there. They want to be travelling. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, maybe they're just <laughs> yeah. They don't want to go home for ages. <laughs> I'll be back at Christmas. That'll be fine. Yeah, they've already spent sort of three of what well, didn't? Yeah, Hannah Conter says so she um, lost early in Kentucky, but she had flown to Chicago and then she was driving, so she was trying to minimise the number of flights she would take to where she's got to go. Yeah, and I think the majority of players are going to try and do that. But there are going to be a significant chunk of players. And it only takes one, as we saw with... uh, Well, actually, no, it took a few in the Adjured Tour. Um, But it only takes one. And I think there will be a chunk of players and coaches that are not going to be particularly keen to... to, I I suppose impose restrictions on themselves because you have the tournament restrictions and much like we heard from Donna Vekic in Palermo she was saying well they're not telling me to not go sightseeing and go to restaurants in the town so I'm gonna do it so she wasn't taking that on herself to say I'm gonna stay in the hotel but a lot of players were saying just gonna stay in the hotel just gonna do the catering play the tournament I'm gonna keep this as minimal as possible so again I think the majority of players will follow that route but then there will be some kind of like Donna who will just say I'll do what I'm told if I'm told I can't go I won't go if I'm told that you know and that they'll be looking for those um those actual rules that will be able to be enforced so yeah I don't know I, I just think it's it's good it's positive we've got we had the WTA event last week we've got two this week in Lexington and Prague we've got some superstars back in action we've got live tennis on our screens again I mean we can't not be happy. Of course, we have concerns and you know slightly apprehensive about bits and pieces, but this is great. I don't know about you, but I don't expect to see Simona Halep at the US Open. Ah, where are you, where are you on that? It just for me, it feels that she's chosen to play Prague, so she's chosen to play on the clay. So maybe the focus is there. A, it's staying out of America and it's building up to the French Open, whereas a number of players who are in Kentucky are using this as their American hardcore series. So they'll play Kentucky, they'll move to Cincinnati, they move to US Open, so it's a big chunk in the same country. And she has said that at the moment, still everything worries her about travelling 
to America and the safety concerns with COVID. And by the time people listen to this, she might have confirmed she's playing <laughs> the US Open. But I just, I don't know, it's just a feeling that she didn't go to Palermo because of the worries. She is very concerned about it, as we should be, as most people are. I, I don't know, what's what's your gut feeling on whether she's going to be at Flushing Meadows? Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like she's not going to play, that she's probably going to focus on on the clay. I mean, it's tough. The pull of a Grand Slam is absolutely huge. But the the risks of going somewhere like the States uh, is difficult because the thing with this sort of illness as everybody is aware of by now is that it's just not in your control if other people don't want to follow the rules if other people don't want to wear masks and social distance and and that sort of thing there's nothing you can do about it if people want to get in your face (laughs) that's what they're gonna do and it seems like uh that in america that is much more common than it is uh elsewhere uh around the world in terms of that sort of thing so it I think that is a little bit intimidating and especially a lot of these tennis players are kind of, I wouldn't say they're control freaks, but they like to be in control of stuff. So <laughs> maybe they're control freaks. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I think it's unlikely that we'll see here. There's probably still a chance, but I mean, she's doing the right thing. She's entered. She's waiting to see how things kind of play out a little bit, but uh, yeah, she f- scrapped her way through. Didn't she? Seven, six in the third. Good old Simona. That's, <laughs> that's what we know from her. Um, but yeah, so she's a, uh, yeah, I think I think we'll just see her on the clay this year. There is a lot of rust on a lot of players, and understandably so, <laughs> because uh, you, you were talking about it with um, saying they were being a bit a little soft and floppy. Were they your words, or did you use different words? Soft and floppy. So they were soft yep. and floppy, wasn't it? Because they're not hard. <laughs> they're not hardened in match situations. And come on, let's look at let's look at Serena Williams. She was a set down. For all, love 40 against Bernardo Pera in her first match back. But she's Serena Williams and she was able to turn it around and come through. Yeah, but I say soft and floppy tennis players and you obviously pull out the greatest of all time. And so <laughs> well, what about this? Well, OK, but this <laughs> is slightly different. There are going to be exceptions. It's, uh, it is... Um, it is actually quite quite funny. I, I do that a lot sometimes. I refer to tennis players and I'm thinking about sort of the group of professional tennis players sort of ranked from like 20 to maybe 150. And then people start talking to me about Roger Federer. And I'm like, but that that's different. That's just Roger being Roger. That's not him being a professional <laughs> tennis player. Often it happens when I'm talking to kind of co- um, parents of players and that sort of thing. I talk about being a professional tennis yeah. player and they'll say, well, Roger does this. And I'm like, okay, but that's not being a professional tennis player. That's totally different. Um, but yeah, what was your question? I can't well, in, in a sense, there was a little a little soft and floppiness around Serena Williams because she was in a situation where she was very close to losing in the first round of Kentucky because there is rust there. She's been practicing on a court that she said her husband built for her when they flew the surface over from the USTA. So she's had a court built for her. She's been practicing and playing as much as she could. But you then get into a match situation and things are very, very different. It's not as straightforward as maybe it once was. Ah, uh, see, I take it the other way. I don't think it's soft and floppy. I thought that was gritty. I mean, she's never going to play well. She hasn't played in ages. The same for a lot of players. And uh, she really had to tough that one out. She was up against it. Set down, was it four all and down a few break points? Love 40. Uh, yeah, love 40. There we go. And you know, managing to turn it around because Serena just manages to dig deep, find the champion inside her 
And she can do that. I think for a lot of players, they can't. If they're not playing well, they're not playing well. <laughs> But is there not, there's a bit of rust in there, but is there also not a little bit of soft and floppiness in there just because she hasn't played? I know we've we've seen Serena Williams in that situation where she takes breaks, comes back, and is in a situation you think, no, this is not going to happen, and then she turns it around. But like whether we're talking from Serena Williams to the world number 125, I don't know who that is, but there's going to be an element of, of, of rust and floppiness. There's definitely going to be uh, the game. Uh, I was talking about uh, soft and floppiness in terms of the body, uh, in terms of the injuries that you might pick up. You're not quite yeah. hardened. You need to get a lot of matches and you yeah. harden up the body uh, in that sense. And there will be some soft and floppiness or what you say rust in the game. Uh, but the mentality, that's where it's going to be really interesting. For a lot of players, I think they will roll over because that takes training as well. Being able to concentrate for that amount of time is not a natural thing. That takes work and application and doing it week in, week out. It's really, really difficult. And when you stop playing for a chunk of time, you, your concentration just starts going and you're trying to drag it back to the court and you just can't do it. It's it's something that I think players take for granted because it is there, just being there week in, week out. But after a long break like this, it's something that you need to really kind of get whipped back in shape. But in terms of the resilience and grit on the court, as I said, I think we will see a lot of players go over and be a bit soft and floppy, but not Serena. Do you think it is a help or not that there's no fans in terms of being able to concentrate? Would having a packed stadium there, if you haven't played for so long, could that actually be more distracting than having nobody there apart from a handful of people working on the tournament? Uh, I don't know whether that makes a big difference or not, to be honest. I think either way, the majority of the time in a tennis match, you're not playing tennis. So that's where the thoughts can wander, whether it's between yeah. points uh, and not during points. That doesn't really happen. <laughs> not the, well, it, well, it's not sh- thinking about it what you're ordering it shouldn't for dinner. Happen. <laughs> in the middle of it definitely voice. shouldn't happen. Um, you know, when you sit down at the change of ends, you know, some people are really good at switching on and switching off at the change of ends. Other people have to kind of try and control it. So you see the players who put the towel over their head and they have to stay focused because otherwise they will get distracted. They can't switch on and off. And once they get distracted, they then go out and play and they can't find their focus quick enough. And then you get some players who are really good at switching on and off with ease. Something like Federer, he's often singing, he's looking at the kiss cam, he's he's kind of getting involved. Something like Nick Kyrgios is probably having a chat with half of the crowd at the change of ends. And, uh, but then they start playing and they're right back on it. So you get, it's different for different people. Um, so I think for uh, the people who are good at switching on and off, they'll probably do a little bit better. But the ones who are... Um, I suppose need a little bit more control over it there's a lot of time to think and whether there's crowd or not it's just I don't know there's just time to think it was interesting the question was put to Coco Goff's father Corey would it affect his daughter that there are no crowds and he said well uh, no she's she's only recently come through the juniors there are very few people at junior events. So if anything, she is more used to playing with fewer people to none than with tens of thousands of people in the stadium watching her. Well, and that's the case for the majority of players, as I say. For professional tennis players, they are used to not having a big crowd. For Serena Williams and Roger Federer, 
<laughs> and Nadal and Djokovic and those sorts of people, they're not so used to it. I think it's interesting that you separate them like that. So when you're talking to the parents of juniors, do you have to make that separation? Because automatically, I mean, if I speak to people that don't really know a lot about tennis or watch it yet, they say, oh, have you met Roger Federer? Have you commentated on Serena Williams? But And so it's natural for a parent to say, I want my child to be like one of those two. So do you have to make the distinction between those players and the rest of the tennis players. Yeah, and it is a bit difficult because I love that those people are inspirations. So particularly being, you know, in Britain, Andy Murray is a huge inspiration. But it's just understanding, you know, I saw... Andy coming up from probably 10, 11 years old. He was the same, similar age as my brother. So they were playing against each other a lot of the times. So we saw him in, in tournaments. And it was, it was a sure thing that he was going to be a top 20 tennis player. It was just, he was so, so good. Uh, it's not that he was necessarily a, a prodigy, but they are just kind of world-class individuals. And they would have been world-class at anything they put their mind to. I mean, you look at Djokovic when he's playing. I mean, he's a complete lunatic most of the time. Uh, but if you apply that into any situation and channel it in the right way, then you're going to... Do you know what I mean? Like, they just have this thing that's really in common between the few of them, and it's the same with the top players and athletes in different sports. They, it, it's them. You know, Andy Murray is Andy Murray. He could have been a professional footballer. I'm sure he would have been amazing at that. He could have, he could have picked anything. He just happened to pick tennis, and we're very appreciative that he has. But for, uh, for the bulk of professional tennis players, it's a totally different situation. So what do you say to parents if, if the mum comes along? Because when you speak to anybody about their idols growing up, it's going to be one of the greats. Every now and then there's a slightly random player in the mix. And you're like, oh, that's quite interesting. But it's natural for these players to look up to these players. So you're not saying don't look up to the players, but you're saying be realistic and the chances are you will never be like that player. Well, no, for, for sure, you can aspire to be like them, absolutely. And you can take the inspiration from them. And so you should. That's that's one of the greatest things about them being idols. But it, it's just, so when kids say, I want to be a professional tennis player, it's understanding yeah. what that means, what that looks like. Being a professional... So what does that look like and mean to you? Well, being a professional tennis player is being somebody who's playing in the Grand Slams, week in, week out, grafting, you know, it doesn't really matter what the ranking is, but they are earning a living from the sport. And, that, I mean, that's being a professional tennis player, right? If you're professional, you're earning your living from the sport. Uh, and there are so many players who have kind of been 50 for years and years and years, and that is being a professional tennis player. It's more, you can take the inspiration and the aspiration about the world-class players, but what you actually want to achieve and, and be like, I think, on the whole, is is a little bit different, just being realistic. Because otherwise, the trouble is, is that people get put off in a lot of ways. They might look at Andy Murray's journey and say, well, I'm falling behind. It's like, yeah, but he was ahead of everyone else. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> or they might look at Coco Goff and say, well, I haven't won a tour event before the age of 16. It's like, well, yes, but <laughs> she's Coco Goff. It's very different. So it's just understanding that you know, there are a certain amount of jobs available being professional tennis players. And and yes, once you get to being a professional tennis player, then if you want to apply yourself like the very, very top do, then by all means, go for it. And you can get there like, like they have. But I don't know, it's a little bit different. You see these players when they play as kids and 
they are operating at a bit of a different level. There's always something about them that is different. And it's always a little bit sort of lunatic like <laughs> like Djokovic. You know, the level of drive and application is not normal. That that in in my opinion, in comparison to the majority of athletes. And you see that everywhere. I watched the Michael Jordan documentary, very similar. Um, I'm sure it's the same with all of the, with the top footballers that you've spoken to as well. There is something different about them. They are world-class individuals that were going to push the boundaries of whatever they apply themselves to. And we're just fortunate that they chose to do it in tennis. And it's, it's interesting you talk about the tennis aspect. I've seen this with young footballers coming through the academy at Chelsea. And if you ask a tennis player, what would you like to achieve? Largely to be world number one, to win a grand slam, etc., etc. You'll get a few that say, I just want to be the best I can. Footballers, it'll be who do I, you know, I want to be the next Messi or, or Ronaldo. I want, to, I want to win the World Cup. I want to win the Champions League. And a lot of the players I work with, and they got to about the age of, there's a big jump when they got to about the age of 16, 17, and they realised maybe it wasn't possibly going to happen and they possibly weren't going to be Ronaldo. They got very, very disillusioned and they kind of lost their way. And yet every now and then there was a player who would say, well, actually, I'm not going to be the very best. And being middle of the road, so maybe, as you say, being a professional tennis player isn't good enough for me. If I'm not going to be the best, I'm going to leave the sport, which I think is is quite a brave decision. And I've known footballers who've said... I realised that I wasn't going to be, shall we say, the next Frank Lampard. He was in the position of a Frank Lampard. So we actually left and did something completely different. And he was told, but you could have a really good professional career. It might not be in the Premier League, but you would make a living and you would be a professional footballer. And he said, it was one particular guy, he said, that's not good enough for me. That's not good enough. If I'm not going to be what I wanted to be or what I thought I could be, I'm going to leave the sport altogether. Yeah, and and that's the battle that definitely I face uh, when I speak to parents. It's, well, they're either going to be Andy Murray, Coco Goff, Serena Williams, or what's the point in all of this? And it's so extreme. And there are so many benefits to playing. And I mean, and, and I've feel like I try and get them to improve their level of respect for professional tennis players. And the problem is, as well, is if you're just watching tennis on TV, you only ever really, and if you're just watching the slams, okay, I know some of our tennis listeners are super fans and will be watching all of the uh, all of the matches everywhere all the time. But you only, if you're kind of a bit more of a casual fan, which the majority are, if you're, o- you're only ever watching somebody rank 70 when they're on, Philip Chatrier getting destroyed by Nadal or they're on Arthur Ashe taking on Serena Williams and yeah it makes them look average and it makes their life look not great <laughs> you know in in that sense but actually when you go out to the outside courts and you've been to lots of slams and we've both been fortunate to, to do that I've been fortunate enough to play on some of the outside courts and when you see somebody ranked 70 playing somebody ranked 90 it's often they are the best first round matches you can watch in terms of the yeah. competitiveness you've got a group of people that want to watch the stars and then a group of people who want to watch the the quality tennis and that's where you go is you go and watch those matches. And they're amazing in the early stages. I feel like sometimes when young kids talk about what they want to be, they actually don't have an, enough respect for what they're talking about. So, uh, and, and I think they get mistaken. And it's also very common in girls is that you ask them questions and sometimes you do little quizzes when you're on the road or if you're at training camps and those sorts of things. And I think they don't have enough respect for women's tennis because they, or, or if you ask them an open question, like who is the youngest Grand Slam winner of all time, 
they only ever register and think about men. And so you'll get the sort of Boris Beckers, you'll get Hewitt, you'll get all these sorts of things. And, and it's such a shame. You can understand maybe the guys doing that, but it's such a shame because they just so quickly go towards that. And I just feel like you don't have enough respect for what you're actually telling me you want to do in your life. And that's, that would be your ultimate goal is to be a professional tennis player. And, you know, you're not telling me you're not having the debate about, well, was it Martina Hingis or was it Jennifer Capriati or was it this or was it that or the youngest ever number one or whatever it might be. I just feel like I'm kind of often having to have those conversations. And then also, if you don't make it as a, as a complete professional and get to the slams, the next level down, having respect for what that brings into your life. But isn't it also the way, and I'm not saying this about you as a coach but there'll be some coaches if they have a young player who's showing a lot of promise and the coach says to them what do you want to be what are your aims if they just said just said a professional tennis player or top 200 the coach would be like come on you've got to aim bigger than that you've got to aim higher than that so isn't there the flip side that you might get a coach saying well you're not aiming high enough but in reality they are being realistic they're saying I want to be a professional tennis player but you might have a coach saying don't you want more than that don't you want to be top 50 don't you want to be top 20 don't you want to be world number one yes and I do agree with that to a certain extent as in it's it's so good and so important to dream and to have goals and to aspire. And I never want to take that away from kids. And I'm often not having the conversation with children. I'm actually more trying to get parents and coaches to understand kind of what you're actually saying. Um, because as you say, once it start, they start to realize, okay, well, I'm not going to be number one in the world. It, you, you actually get people, as you say, just throwing in the towel and being like, well, What's the point then? And that's also something that, you know, I talk a lot about to say the LTA, for example, they run these camps and you get a group of 16 kids in. And yes, I understand the obsession is about trying to find that one, trying to find that new Conter, that new Murray. I, I get it. And I'm not trying to take away from that. But you also need to at least spend a bit of time paying attention to everybody else, because what happens to these kids afterwards when when they get to 16, 17, they realize they've become average or above average and 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 they disappear and they're not in the sport anymore they're not coaching they're not and especially the girls they they totally move out of the sport and it's like we're losing them why would we lose them they've they've got good they've got good knowledge good talent good ability they've dedicated their life to the sport like surely there's something they can do whether it's coaching or mentoring or hitting or or there are so many different things that, that they could do but we we do sort of lose them so it's more it's more out of that it is a difficult balance to to try and tread because you don't want to tell somebody stop trying to be Andy Murray that's ridiculous <laughs> but you want them to do that Andy Murray's a really good role model um but it's just about I suppose as they get older it's about trying to get them to understand the reality of of how this works and where the benefits are um because otherwise they can just end up a little bit damaged and, and also just a little bit resentful towards the sport and as I say they leave the sport and that's it they're gone And on coaching little ones from the homework you sent me last week, I found some rings and I found a ball. Did you? And we weren't throwing it up, but we were it, we were in the pool. These are kind of all things they use in the pool. And I was getting them to throw the ball. It's like a big sponge ball through the ring and sort of get it through the ring, which they, because because they love, they're only five, but they love competing against each other. They wanted to get it through more times than the other one. So it actually was quite good. So we That's did a little great. bit of throwing ball through the ring. Ball tossing. Yeah. Excellent. So you've got a sort of, well, it was sort of, 
it was it wasn't going upwards it was going along but yeah it's a kind start. of it's a start. kind of ball you can move it in so the right direction you've got to think of a few more homework tasks for me but the um by the time people will listen to this serena Williams will have played Venus Williams for a 31st time because in this Kentucky draw, (laughs) the first time this tournament's taken place, a new event like Prague added to the calendar after um, the pandemic entered our lives. The draw was incredible. I mean, Victoria Zarenka, as we record this, has lost, but they had four slam champions in the draw. I touched on Johanna Conta losing early, but Serena Williams against Venus Williams with no one there, no fans there. <laughs> kind of weird, right? I mean, those matches between them can be quite weird and sometimes difficult to watch and sometimes a bit awkward and sometimes great. But this will be something quite unique. I mean, I, I don't know how they do it, to be honest. I'd hate it. I'd absolutely hate it. I'd, I'd definitely err more on the side of the Bryan brothers for just pulling out any time they had to face each other and just saying, no, no, yeah, not yeah. doing it. But yeah, I, I, I agree. it's just, yeah, it's, it's just so hard and... And you've got Venus, who, of course, is an absolute legend in her own right and has been a huge idol to Serena. And and sometimes you kind of feel like the only person I think Serena would listen to would be Venus. I, I bet Patrick is so close to Venus as Patrick Moratoglu, Serena's coach, because any time she's trying to get Serena to do something, I bet he just sends Venus a little message <laughs> saying, look, can you help me here? Give her a nudge because she's not listening to me. <laughs> she's probably like a, a, a secondary coach to her. So... You know they are they are close and uh, and they are two of the greatest tennis players we've ever seen. Is it is it surprising? Maybe it's not surprising, but there were and the WTA something else they've been doing amazing are all of these uh, virtual press conferences via Zoom. So yeah. the, they're getting the player there. The journalist can ask the questions. But Serena Williams was asked about being back and how she feels and with everything that that's going on, and. And she spoke about the fact that she's been self-isolating in a Serena bubble because she is particularly vulnerable to the virus because she doesn't have full lung capacity. And I think people were aware of this because she had the pulmonary embolism, which I find really difficult to say, in 2001, had an operation, had a blood clot removed. So there are concerns for her there. She says, look, I have, I travel with 50 masks. We've got this Serena bubble. But is there... Is there not something a little bit crazy about someone with that vulnerability playing tennis and traveling at a time like this with a virus that attacks the lungs and has no cure or vaccine? Yeah, and somebody who is a multi-millionaire and doesn't need to be out working, for example. <laughs> doesn't, does it, she's not sitting at home being like, I need to earn some money. Like some of the players are. They're like, we need to get out and play and earn. There's yep. also that element to, to it. She needs to play because she's obviously desperate to get another Grand Slam. She wants to get into shape before US Open. But I do kind of agree. And when I saw, uh, I was watching the video when she walked onto court and uh, you know what? I hadn't even thought of it before then. And it was more she as she was walking, she was wearing her mask and stuff, and she was walking onto court. I mean, firstly, I was like, "Wow, purple hair, like it." But then <laughs> I was very much, uh, it, yeah, it just dawned on me. And I thought, didn't didn't she nearly die? Like, she, this has actually been pretty bad for her. And in terms of blood clots, that's been a big problem. And and we know that is a huge problem with with coronavirus. So. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that it affected her breathing. It didn't, I didn't know it affected her lung capacity uh, in terms of... I just must have missed that detail over the years. I don't know how. I, I knew she'd had those operations yeah. in, the, in those situations. But um, 
I, I, yeah, I just didn't realise that. And yeah, it did seem a bit kind of like, okay, wow, right, she's she's really going to do this. You just, you just have to think, is it worth it? And I know she really, really, and she's, she hasn't hidden from the fact that she is desperate to equal, if not break, Margaret Court's record of 24 grand. Stars. She's Singles already done titles. it. It's she's fine. On... Can somebody tell her? <laughs> okay, enough. We're going to stop with this nonsense now, Serena. <laughs> we were making it up. Okay, actually, a lot of the slams she won, they weren't really grand slams. So don't worry about it. <laughs> but that's the thing. Look, uh, w- yeah, we're not going to get into that debate. But she is largely considered by many people to be the greatest of all time already for what she's achieved, for how she's transcended the sport. You know, she's won a slam in just decade after decade. She's evolved her game. She is this incredible role model for people on court and off court. But we're dealing with a virus that kills that doesn't discriminate yeah. it doesn't say well, well I'm going to go for you because you're old or you look. it's look Grigor Dimitrov has spoken about how it's affected him and he's one of the the fittest people we know I was self-isolating to the best of my abilities I haven't got a clue where I got it from and it got me to a not a very nice degree it it doesn't discriminate there is no vaccine there is no cure as it stands and you can be as fit as the next person but this thing will attack you and she has a vulnerability in an area where the virus likes to attack. I, I don't know, I just, I know all the reasons she's playing, you know, she's she's 38 now and I don't know if she wants to expand her family but if she does as a woman, you have to think about age because age is, age is a factor. There are two Grand Slams we expect to take place this year and there will be certain people missing not that she needs a weakened field but there will be certain players missing due to coronavirus I just so I I get it but I don't get it do you see what I mean I I just don't know why you put yourself at risk of this this horrible virus that you can protect yourself as much as you can but if someone near you I don't mean in the Serena bubble but if someone around you has got it or hasn't been careful you could get it despite how well you've been protecting yourself yeah, and that's what I was saying before. You have to trust other people and a lot of other people when it comes to the Grand Slam is that you're talking people you... Serena won't even know them, okay? She'll know most of the players, but she's not going to know all of their coaches and entourage. You're not going to trust every single person there. So it is going to be really difficult, um, I think. But I just, I just hope that she knows that she does have the record <laughs> she doesn't need <laughs> to be doing this and that if she feels like she needs to be doing it she ne- she's doing it for herself because if she's doing it because of our slot in the media saying well 24 23 24 23 24 like then it's just silly and those are the sort of things that drive these top players absolutely trying to get records and what the media says about them they do try and prove them wrong it, it really has it's been a factor i think for all of the top players but I really hope that that is not the reason that she is maybe taking a little bit uh, more risk than she otherwise might have. If she was sitting there, well, I'm the greatest player of all time. I've got the record. I've got millions in the bank. Why don't I just wait a little bit and maybe I can play next year? Uh, I know that there, there of course, is a clock in in terms of the, the time moving on for her. But, yeah. That's that's all, because it would just be awful if she played because she felt like, well, you know, people keep saying and they're all talking about got to get this final one. And that was her drive. And then she got sick because of it. That would be, yeah, not very nice. Something else that came up that initially a lot of people, again, a lot of people in the media, but also players were up in arms about was the US Open 
waiver that the players have to sign basically saying, look, you come here, you assume full responsibility for any risk, including serious illness or death. I'm quoting now from the waiver that may be sustained by me or by others who come in contact with me as a result of my presence in the facilities. This is a release of liability and agree that it's valid forever. What was your first reaction? Uh, typical American lawyers is <laughs> my first reaction. Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, these companies, of course, have some great lawyers involved and they do throw these things into the contract that uh, a lot of players won't necessarily know about. I, I don't think it's going to present too much of a problem. I think the majority of players would just say kind of, yeah, whatever. Would you sign it? Uh, well, I think... It's again, it's one of those things, maybe if you're somebody who's quite uncomfortable about going and is thinking, oh, maybe I should go, but I don't really want to. It might be something that would push you towards, okay, actually, I'll just stay. Don't really want but to But is that it. the kind of thing as a tennis player you would sign at a lot of tournaments? But uh, maybe well, you, you... Sign, you, you sign also, you've got to sign contracts at the beginning, like with WTA and ATP, you become a member, you, you sign up to lots of different things. Um, and there's all these sorts of things with rights as well, you know, um, image rights and, uh, and, and all sorts. So, I mean, on the whole, tennis players are pretty free in comparison to other sports who are, say, owned by a club and bought and sold, like, products, <laughs> like meat. We don't want you anymore. Go away. Whereas with tennis players, um, you know, you are ultimately a freelancer and a contractor. So we do get a lot of freedom when it comes to image rights. You know, you don't... You know, Serena Williams can do an advert on TV. She doesn't have to have the WTA logo in the background. You know, those sorts of things, um, you know, aren't in place. So there is a lot of flexibility. So I don't think tennis players will be too precious about it. It doesn't read well. And when you read it, I mean, the words forever, mm, <laughs> it's a bit much, isn't it? You're assuming all liability, even if it is the NTC's fault, like even if it's their their negligence, it was put in there. Um, you know, that's not great. I imagine that's a little bit of a fallout of the Bouchard case, which costs them a bit of money. They're now struggling when it comes to money. They don't have pots of millions they can be handing out to people if they do uh, mess things up. So... You're taking on full responsibility yourself, but that is always a situation as a tennis player. You take full responsibility for anything that goes in your body. You are completely liable for what your team does at all times. If they break the rules, everything's on you. Uh, if, the, if you think the court is too slippery to play on because it's been raining and the umpire says, no, it's fine, you should play, you say, well, I don't want to. You have, like, it's, it's every, everything is your responsibility. If you then... They, have, they can make you play. They say, no, no, we say it's fine. You have to play. And if you play, slip and injure yourself, it's your fault. You chose to play. You could have pulled out. So there is always that option of not playing. If you're a tennis player, you don't have to play these events. You're not contracted to play these events. You have a choice. And I think the US Open are probably viewing it that way. Um, the ATP and WTA have changed the ranking system. So you won't be penalized if you don't play. You're not going to get fined if you don't play. They're actually kind of like, look, you don't want to come, don't come. So for them, I think with this waiver situation, that's more their their sort of thinking. They're saying, look, you want to come here. We're not taking responsibility for you. That's fine. Um, and that's sort of the attitude. And it is something that does run through tennis. You do have full responsibility at all times. And there are a couple of things, and particularly something like the wet court, you do get into these situations where you're screwed either way. And I've had that situation a number of times where I've not wanted to play because I think I'm going to get injured. And they say, well, pull out then. 
we're telling you it's fine. Pull out then. And I'm like, there's no way it's fine. I'm slippery. I'm slipping around. Um, and if you play and you get injured, well, oh, sorry, you shouldn't have played really, should you? Um, or you pull out and then you take the penalty that way. So it's, yeah, sometimes you can get into a little bit of a pickle, but ultimately what comes with that level of responsibility is a lot of freedom that a lot of sports don't have. Do you say rotor or roster? Uh, I mix between the two. Aren't they different things? Um, I've never thought... No, are they? Well, isn't a rotor a roster? (laughs) No, the roster is the list of people that you would choose from to go onto the rotor. Oh. That's what I'm saying. So you have a roster. So, for example, um, let's say we're working on the US Open. We've got all these commentators. We've got a roster of commentators. And we're going to go to the roster and we're going to put them into a rotor, which is more of a schedule. So why do you mix between the two then? Surely you should just say rotor. When, why do you ever need to say roster? I don't know. I think because I just interchange them. I think that is officially the way that it is. I've had this conversation before. <laughs> because I was going to say it. I didn't know which word to use. But we've had our rotor roster for, <laughs> for, for Cincinnati, which yes. is a wonderful thing. Working together on ATP Tennis Radio, the fact that the radio's back, the tennis is back, Cincinnati as we speak on a Wednesday is happening um but that that was an exciting time although I didn't know whether it was a rotor or roster it was exciting <laughs> that was a rotor we were on the roster but that was a rotor we were sent out so <laughs> we're oh. back I know I'm gonna see you again I know and you're but you're you're still hard at work I feel really bad you've just been plugging away hard at what are you up to this week well, I'm just working on the UK Pro Series uh, event. Uh, so it's the last uh, of the of the domestic events in this little block. There are going to be some more British tours, like some money tournaments. But um, in terms of this series, this is the final one. Uh, and yeah, I, I need to go because matches are starting soon. Which means I haven't got time to tell you about a very traumatic experience I no, went you through haven't. with a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't. It was, sorry. It, was, it was really traumatic. Um, okay, but maybe next well, week. Next week, maybe I'll be ready to talk about. It. <laughs> next week will be good. Yeah, you have a full recovery, and we possibly, but only possibly, week. possibly. All right then. You're not okay. interested in my my traumatic experience. <laughs> I'll see you later. Fun at work. Bye. Bye. Bye.